listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. I'm very glad that you're able to join us again for another episode of Let the Bible Speak. Over recent weeks, we've been studying 1 Timothy chapter 6. We've been considering how Paul exhorts Timothy to be a man of God who walks by example. In the fourth chapter and the verse number 12, Paul tells Timothy, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. As a man of God, Timothy is to act in a manner that displays the will of God for all of God's children. He has that responsibility not only to teach the word, but also to live the word. And so when Paul brings certain admonitions to Timothy, those admonitions apply to all of us. And we've been noting the four instructions, the four imperatives in 1 Timothy 6 verses 11 and 12. Let's hear those words again now at this time. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And so we have here these four imperatives. Timothy is to flee. He is to run quickly away from the danger of sin. He is to follow. He is to pursue after Christ-likeness. He is to fight. He is to fight to hold on to his personal faith in the truth of Christ's gospel. He is to fight to hold on to his belief in Christ's atonement and God's truthfulness and wisdom. And so as we come to the second part of verse number 12, we read this fourth instruction. An instruction that Paul brings to Timothy and therefore to all of our hearts. Paul is telling Timothy, lay hold on eternal life. And with those words in our minds, let's just pray and ask for God's help as we come again to the word of God today. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank you for the direction of the Spirit of God in the life of the Apostle Paul. We thank you that he was the inspired instrument of truth And we thank you that we have that truth in our hearts today. We have it in the Bible before us and we pray that you'd help us to understand the truth of God's word. Help us all to apply it carefully as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some questions that we may choose to ask people regarding Christianity. We may ask them, why do you think people are Christians? Some will answer that they hope to gain eternal life. You could also ask Christians what they themselves expect to enjoy after death. And again, the answer may well be they expect to enjoy eternal or everlasting life. 
Whenever you come to ask people to name words that they think of when they consider Christianity, they will, of course, use words like Jesus and God and church. But I suspect that many others would also answer with the term eternal life. Now, we must understand that many religions have as a core teaching a view of immortality and everlasting life. You take the religion of Islam. One source says this, Paradise is the place where the good and the virtuous will be sent. There exist all means of comfort, ease and happiness and all that one may enjoy. Everything which one wishes will be available there. The Holy Quran says, There shall be what the soul desires and what delights the eye. The blessings of paradise are higher and better than those of this world. None has heard of nor seen anything like them. There will be no discomfort there. He who enters paradise will have eternal life and will stay there forever. That's a quotation from the website alislam.org. And so we see that many religions have as a core teaching some understanding of everlasting life. And so a discussion of eternal life may well be a helpful point of common interest, whether we are talking with a Protestant, a Roman Catholic, or a Muslim, or in fact anybody who believes in life after death. What is eternal life? Who receives eternal life? These are questions that are at the very core of the teaching of the Word of God. And before we come to our text here in 1 Timothy, we should take time to note the Gospel of John, because John in his Gospel deals in many respects with the subject of eternal life. John shows us that eternal life centres on the person and work of Christ Jesus. In John 6, verse 68, Simon Peter answers the Lord, at the time of others departing. And he says to the Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. We know from John's teaching in John chapter 1 that in him that is in Christ was life and the life was the light of men. John quotes the words of Jesus himself where he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so John shows us that life only comes in respect to your relationship with Jesus Christ and his work. In fact, John shows us that eternal life is the very reason why Jesus came into the world. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John defines this life as he quotes the prayer of Christ in John 17. Where Christ says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. This is vital to grasp. A definition of eternal life is too narrow when it's presented in terms of pleasures and rewards. Oh, undoubtedly there will be pleasure, but our pleasure in glory is the very pleasure of being in God's presence and seeing Christ. Eternal life is knowing God and it is knowing Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve, they knew life and they were promised eternal life 
they knew life in communion with God and they ate the fruit and the day they ate they died. Not physically, although that process commenced, but they died spiritually. There was a, a death in their fellowship with God unless God would intervene. And so the gift of eternal life reverses this. By nature we are dead in sin, but we're made alive by grace in Christ Jesus. And so John defines eternal life as knowing God. Hence, eternal life is not only a future prospect, it is a present possession. John 3:36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Indeed, John 5, verse 24, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And there you have the, the, the two aspects of this everlasting life. It is a present possession and it is a guarantee of an everlasting prospect that those who believe on Jesus Christ not only have everlasting life, but they will be raised up at the last day, John 6, verse 40. And that as Christ gives them eternal life, John 10, 28, they shall never perish. Christ is indeed the resurrection and the life, so that all who believe in him, though, though they were dead, yet they shall live, John eleven twenty five. And so in the teaching of John the Apostle in his gospel, we see eternal life being clearly defined in relation to Jesus Christ. He came into the world that we might have life. That life is found in knowing him. It is something we can presently possess. And yet there is that everlasting prospect that having had this life, we will have it forever more. In all of the teaching of John, we see the importance, the vital importance of faith of trusting and believing in Christ Jesus and in relying on him. It is faith that is in view, of course, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. These two commands, they come as a joined pair. We're to fight for faith, and as we fight for faith, we are to lay hold on eternal life. And also we lay hold on eternal life, when we fight for faith. So in light of this, what does this fourth imperative teach us about how, how we have eternal life? Let's listen to the words of Paul again. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Well, to begin with, we should note faith's origination. Paul speaks of eternal life, whereunto thou art also called. By faith we lay hold on eternal life. That's what we've been called to. God's call sets us on the race to eternal life. But this call is a divine call with definite consequences. It is a divine call. This call had happened in Timothy's experience. He was called, i.e. he was called by God. We're unto, i.e., unto eternal life. That's what you've been called to. This divine call is again a call that comes from God. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9 God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ. Indeed, in 
Paul's second letter to Timothy. He will describe the nature of the gospel, the gospel of God who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. It is a divine call that has definite consequences. This call is not a simple invitation. It is the command of absolute authority that brings instant obedience. It is a divine summons. Now this summons is divine, and therefore as it is divine, it brings about the outcome intended in the call. When God calls us, he is determined that we will come to him. And so in the calling, there is the power to obey the call. Now, we, we may understand on the human level that a summons from some high court, a supreme court, may come with authority, but that call does not have in and of itself the power to effect change. God's call is different. God's call brings about change. The believers in Rome, they are said to be called to be saints. They are the called of Jesus Christ, but that calling separates them from sin and sets them apart for God's service, hence they are called to be saints. The writers of our Westminster Shorter Catechism have a clear understanding of this call. In discussion of the effectual call, they define the effectual call as this. It is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. So there, you hear in the teaching of these divines, you hear their understanding that the call of God brings about change in the mind and in the will. We are convinced of our sin, we're enlightened to know Christ, our wills are changed whereby we are persuaded and enabled to come to Christ as he's offered to us in the gospel. And so Paul describes the unbreakable chain of redemption in Romans chapter 8, and that those who are called are also justified and those who are justified are also glorified. We know that the just, they are justified by faith, they come to trust in Christ. So Paul is teaching us here that those who are called come to believe in Christ, and having believed in Christ Jesus, they are justified and their path to glory is guaranteed. And thus we're reminded that the faith whereby we come to know eternal life, it is our action, but it originates in the supernatural call of God. We believe in Christ because of God's working in us. Therefore, as you hear the word of God today, and if you're a child of God, I must encourage you again to humbly acknowledge that you are what you are only by the grace of God. Eternal life is a gift from God. We are to lay hold on eternal life because God has laid hold on us. And those whom God has called, they come to believe the gospel and they are the recipients of eternal life. It's the same as we've seen in recent studies. Our action in laying hold on eternal life, that arises because of God's work in our hearts. Salvation is all of the Lord. 
And so we pray for unsaved family and friends and neighbours and we pray for God to work in their souls. And we humbly confess that we have no ground for pride and arrogance, but rather we must admit that it is God who has worked in us. And to that end, we are eternally thankful. And so faith's origination, well, it begins in the call of God. What about faith's confession in the second place? Paul describes Timothy's experience and that as he has laid hold on eternal life, he's been called to that and he's professed this good profession before many witnesses. What's in view in this profession? Well, the word has a sense of an acknowledgement. It has the sense of words that are of common consent. Sometimes it's translated with the word confession as it is in the next verse. It is, if you like, a statement of a common belief. The matter of our faith in Christ is called a profession in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1. We are indeed those who, according to Hebrews chapter 4, we are those who must hold fast our profession. The profession of our faith without wavering, Hebrews 10, 23. And so you see this sense of profession has the idea of a public confession. The verb is used in Matthew chapter 10. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men. This public confession, this public profession of faith. When did Timothy make this profession? Was it at his public baptism? Was it at his his ordination perhaps? Well, whatever the case may have been, we, we get the idea that this profession is indeed a profession of faith in Christ Jesus. The early disciples, the early apostles, they understood that salvation required a public confession of faith. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10 tells us that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so, The Christian, they believe in their hearts and what is true in their hearts is made public in their confession. Oh dear listener, faith is not secret. Belief in Christ is something that we are happy to confess before witnesses. Oftentimes this will take place in the waters of public baptism and that those who have come to believe in Christ will profess in their baptism their union with Christ Jesus And with their mouths they will say, with the apostles of old, Jesus Christ is Lord. And if there is an unwillingness to make public profession of Christ, then it is unlikely that you actually believe. And if that is true, then you have no prospect of eternal life. You see, those who lay hold on eternal life are those who are not ashamed of their Lord. and They have no embarrassment and they are glad to make public profession of Christ as their Saviour and their Lord. And so we've seen, again in these verses, we have seen the origination of faith in the work of God, and we have seen the profession of faith in our public profession that Christ Jesus is indeed who he says he is. He is the Son of God and the one only Saviour of sinners. Which leads in the last place to the matter of faith's aggression. We are told here to lay hold 
of eternal life. Once more, Paul is taking a word that he's drawing from the athletic realm. We saw in the previous part of this verse, fight the good fight of faith, we saw there that there was the necessity of fighting. Fighting, indeed, was that wrestling term used in the athletic arena. And here, as Paul continues to exhort Timothy, he's telling him to lay hold on eternal life. And this is a word that is derived from the running race. It brings a picture of the runner straining and exerting themselves to win the race, reaching for the prize. Hence here, eternal life is viewed as a future prospect. But faith is aggressive in its determined pursuit of eternal life. Paul has borne personal witness to this as he wrote to the Philippian believers. Philippians chapter 3 verse 11 following, he says this, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I might apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. He presses, he exerts himself for the prize. Oh, that high calling of God. The point is very simple. Faith in Christ is a faith that doesn't give up or doesn't give in. Oh yes, we understand that God's call is the commencement of faith. That call is unto eternal life. It is guaranteed. We're kept by the part of God. But such working of God in our souls does not give us any reason to shirk our duty to persevere and to press on. Like the runner, we are to keep on running. Despite the blisters, despite the cramp, despite the exhaustion, we are to make sure that we do not give up that we do not become weary in well-doing. That's what Paul told the Galatians. He told them not to be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. But in the previous verses, Paul has told the Galatian believers what it is that they reap. He tells them, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Oh, it is our obligation before God that despite the challenges of this world, that we will not give up in the race toward eternal life. That by God's grace and in his power, we will fight And we will keep on running, ensuring that we will not fall at the last day. Now, the late R.C. Sproul, he gives the very helpful illustration of a father and a son walking down a busy road. The cars are speeding past and there is great danger if the son would step off the pavement onto the road. And so the father will instruct the son He will tell the son with earnestness and with a solemn demeanour, he will say, do not let go of my hand. There's danger on the road. Keep hold of my hand. And yet the father knows all the while that he will not let go of the son, that he will 
hold the Son's hand tightly in his grasp. We're on the road to glory. There is danger all around us. We fight against the world, the flesh and the devil. And the devil's purpose is that he will take us away from the enjoyment of life that we have in Christ Jesus. But we're on that road to glory. We're safe in the Father's hand. God will not let us go. And yet we have here in the word of God the instruction that we must hold tight to the Father's hand. It is God, our Heavenly Father, saying, Don't let go. Don't let go of my hand. Oh, dear listener, I'm going to close in a word of prayer now. And as I close in prayer, perhaps there's someone listening to my voice and you have for some time now walked afar off from the Lord. You once made a profession amongst witnesses, but you've fallen back. You've fallen back into habits of sin, seeking pleasure in this world and not pleasure in the Lord. Or perhaps there are some and they've just become very careless. Well, can I, can I urge you, heed the word of God today. Lay hold on eternal life. Bring your soul to Christ today. Cry unto him for mercy. Confess your sin and find in Christ one. He is willing and able to forgive us our sins. Or perhaps there's someone here listening and truth be told, you're still dead in your sin. You know nothing of this eternal life that is knowing God and knowing fellowship with God. Well, your great need is that you turn from your sins and confess Christ today. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He came that you need not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life is offered to you today if you would but leave off your sin and close in with Christ. Confess him to be your Lord and Saviour. Take him, rely upon him, come up, come to him. And I tell you, dear listener, he will save your soul. I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch and let me know if you've trusted in Christ today. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together to consider the word of God, to consider that word of everlasting truth. We thank you that you've sent your Son into the world he who is the way, the truth, and the life. We pray that listeners will come to him today and that those who know him will cling to him. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.